We went from living in a nasty garage apartment to buying a six-bedroom home that had a pool in the backyard, and it was cheaper for us to live there than in the nasty garage. I have a treat for you in the house today, passive income investors. Welcome back to another episode of the Passive Income Adventures, where we are powered by commercial real estate. Today, we have Camilla Jeffs, and she has the most amazing story going from a stay-at-home mom to real estate investor to MBA graduate, corporate worker and then a full circle back around to commercial real estate when she realized that she wanted to stop working for her money and have her money start working for her. She gives the most real and raw account of what it's like to leave a W-2 job, how to deal with the anxiety of being an entrepreneur and really not knowing a lot of times where your next paycheck is coming from, the cash flow dirty little secret that real estate investors don't want to believe or admit or talk about, that maybe there's not a lot of cash flow. This is a long-term game. And we talk about how she and I are going through a very similar experiences and how we are dealing with handling all of these changes and all of these adventures that we have going on and looking at them like it's something that we can be happy and excited about and grateful for and playful rather than being fearful or avoiding things. When you're up against the edge of your level of comfort, that means you're usually going in the right direction. You're usually choosing to do hard things and that you are stretching yourself to grow and accomplish something that you've never really thought was possible. So listen in to the end all the way while Camilla and I just keep it real about what it's like to live the lifestyle as we're working on having more passive income adventures. Thank you for joining us and enjoy the listen. Thank you for coming with us, passive income investors. We are off on our next adventure with Camilla Jeffs. Camilla and I have known each other for a couple of years and we're just giggling in the pre-call like little girls chatting about all the stuff we've done. So Camilla and I are both in the new position of having left the corporate world W2. My husband left his job a couple of months ago and I am so excited for her to be able to share what she's learned in her journey on how to transition out of the W2 and what that period between leaving your job and having true early retirement where you don't have to work anymore at all, oh, your money's working for you. And because I feel like that period in between leaving the job and full early retirement is not really well talked about. And it seems to be like this magic unicorn that people don't really understand how to get there. And now that we're going through it ourselves, I'm really getting a firsthand taste of what this is like. So Camilla, can you start out like telling us a little bit about your backstory, why you do what you do, you really chosen an unconventional path, how you were able to get to that point of leaving your W-2, and then we'll talk about what things look like for you right now. Yeah. So first off, thanks for having me, Emma. I'm so excited to share with you and your audience about my journey. And hopefully there's something inspiring and actionable that the listener can take. So my journey, I got married pretty young and and started having babies right away. And me I too. had five babies. <laughs> I know we share this. <laughs> I had five babies within eight years. And, and it was a point where I was like, wow, I can't really contribute to the family income wise, because there's no job that can pay for daycare for five kids. Like it was, especially when you're in your early twenties, that you're not mm -hmm. making that kind of income. So I was trying to figure out, well, how can I contribute to the family finances if it's not in an income capacity? And so one of the things I decided to do was become like the CFO of our family. And so I dove into learning about money. Like, how does it work? What are all the things? What do you need to do? And how do we use it properly? How do we have a healthy relationship with it? How do we be good investors and good stewards of the money that we have? And that took us on a very unconventional path because of course you think about investing and there's the traditional path and everybody's like, oh, you get a financial advisor and you get a mutual fund and then you, oh, 401k, make sure you do your 401k because that's free money. That would be stupid not to do that. And so you're kind of brainwashed into thinking that, okay, everybody has to take this path. And then, oh, if you do, if you contribute every month and then in, when you're 65, you're going to be a millionaire if you start early. I was like, oh, yeah, I want to be a millionaire. That sounds awesome. And now I'm like, millionaire when I'm 65. Why do I want to wait that long? That's a really yep. long time to wait to become a millionaire. I did it earlier. And so I'm like, okay, I need to get a hold of this and really figure out investing so I can be feel like I'm contributing to the family finances in some way. So I read books on stock market investing, and I read books on alternative investing real estate. And I don't know. I just... Real estate is something I can see, I can touch it, 
I can change it. I can paint it. I can make it prettier. And it was just something that was way easier for me to understand than stock market investing. And so that's why we'll try, we'll do real estate. And it was also funny too, because the first property that we got out of necessity because we couldn't afford anything else. And now I know that sounds crazy, but the story is that we were living in a garage, somebody's like makeshift garage apartment, not very nicely done, by the way. <laughs> you know, it's those early years, you're like broke, you got nothing. You're like, well, that's all yeah. we can afford. So we're living in this garage apartment. So I had our first baby in that garage apartment, but the landlady came around, she's collecting rent. And I was like, I knew she owned other rentals in the area. So I just went and asked her, I said, so what is your, how do you do this? Like, how do you own lots of rental properties. And she said, oh, you know what you should do is you should buy a house. And I was like, lady, we're living in your garage apartment. No, we cannot, we can barely afford this. How are we going to buy a house? Also, she was a realtor. So I thought she had like ulterior motives. <laughs> she just wanted to make money off of us. But she said, no, you buy a house that has a basement apartment and then you move in and then the tenants help pay for the mortgage. I was like, okay. And that's exactly what we did. So we went from living in a nasty garage apartment to buying a six bedroom home that had a pool in the backyard. And it was cheaper for us to live there than in the nasty garage apartment. Like it was amazing. And that's when I thought, yeah, real estate is the way to build wealth. Like I, stocks, pff, I don't know what they're going to do for me. I'm still going to follow the financial advisor because my dad tells me to do that. But <laughs> I don't know what else to do. And so then we just started doing real estate and started buying properties and fast forward 15 years, right? So we had built up a portfolio, but we had done it all on our own, like DIYing to the max, all of our own time, all of our own skills, all our muscles, all our own bruises, dragging the kids with us, all five kids with us to our properties, which is not a bad thing, actually. I think it's been really healthy and good for them to their development. But uh, we finally figured out oh, we need to partner with people and stop trying to just do everything ourselves to really bring take our investing to the next level. And that's what I teach on my podcast, Quiet Wealth, as I teach like next level investing. Let's be a real investor. Let's not just be a, oh yeah, sure, financial advisor, Take here's my money, you do with it what you please. Let's take control of that and let's actually do it. That is so many people's story, but that's where most people's stories stop. Because you get to the point where I need to unpack this for a minute. So okay. you get to the point where you realize like you're the one painting all the walls. You're the one down in the basement or the crawl space fixing the plumbing. And you just get to the point where you've got too many kids that you're hauling around and this one's crying and that one has a dirty diaper and you and your husband are fighting. And so many, they come to me and they're like, oh, I used to be a real estate investor, but I quit because of 2008 or I quit because I couldn't handle anymore. Or I quit because my partner ran off with all the money. And that's where most people's stories end. And what you're saying is so similar <laughs> to where I almost ended basically where we're doing like a live-in flip because I didn't know how to flip a house we didn't live in. I didn't know how to carry the cost for it. And I felt at least if we live in it, we can make money while we're here doing it. And for us, it happened to be our forever home that ended up as a flip because of a job <laughs> loss. Right. But I never felt like we had enough money with six kids. And it was just like, okay, we make a pretty decent income if we had two kids, right? Like most normal people. So when you do something unconventional, get married young and have a bunch of babies young. I know my husband's buddies used to ask him like, dude, my girlfriend, she's so much she was pregnant. Like, how did you handle that? That's <laughs> never happened to me. Did you like, you got married and had a kid on purpose? <laughs> yes. At the time. So when you make unconventional choices like that, you have to come up with unconventional solutions. And so your solution was great. You realized the power of real estate, but then you're just down in literally down in the muck of it and just doing all your own work and taking care of your own stuff, probably going around and knocking and collecting all your own rent, like you like your landlady. Mm -hmm. So take us from that recognition that real estate rocks and the stock market sucks. I don't want to say the stock market sucks. I just don't <laughs> like it personally. I have friends of mine who are full-time mutual fund managers and full-time stock investors, and they love it. And they want to talk about it all the time and geek out on it. And my grandpa made his basically retirement fortune through the stock market. So I definitely respect it. If it's something that you care about, I just can't, I just can't read Morningstar anymore. Like I'm so over it. So where did you get to when you got to the point where you're like, okay, real estate is the thing. And did you take some time off and before you realize, like, okay, maybe commercial real estate or maybe passive income through real estate. So take me on that journey from all those little babies and those little rentals to basically where you got to where you are today. 
I hit complete burnout with it, right? So I had all the babies, I had all the rentals and do it DIY and everything. I launched my own property management company and it just got too much, right? As the kids grew, as the as life just got more complicated, it became way too much for me and I just hit complete burnout and I don't know where to go from here because I didn't actually want to get any more rentals because I was so tired of it. And I was so tired of being the landlord and fixing the toilets. And And there was one experience where a pipe froze. And in the middle of the night, I had to go there and figure out how to turn off the water because I didn't know because my husband usually did it, but he was out of town on a business trip and it was just ridiculous. And so I just hit complete burnout. And so do you know what I did? I stopped investing. <laughs> I literally went back to school. I got my MBA and thought, you know what? I think I just need to work in the corporate world because I think that'll be easier. It'll be an easier path to getting more money and cash flow because you're right. Like all that investing, all of that, sometimes they only cash flowed a hundred bucks per property a month. Like real estate is not a great cash flow play. It can be, but you have to work really hard to get a lot of cash flow. Real estate is a long-term wealth building strategy. I a hundred percent believe in it in the long term. It's not a good short term strategy unless you're like our crazy flipper or wholesaler or one of those things but that's still a job i didn't like that either that's a job a right it's not that's a job. investing so anyway so i go back to school i get my mba and i land a really great six-figure job right out of the mba and it was awesome. Like I excelled. <laughs> I did well in it. People recognized me for my leadership abilities and I started moving up the chain. I got moved around. We got to move to different states and experience life. And life was good. Life was really good until it wasn't. Until the realities of a corporate job started to set in and until I saw my children growing older and I started missing things. I started missing the tennis tournaments. I started missing the theater performances because I had to at work or at business trips or things like that. And that was really hard for me because I, as soon as they became teenagers, I'm like, wait a minute, I only have a few more years and then they're gone. They're just gone and they're off doing their own things and I won't have that time. And so I knew I needed the time back. So then I'm sitting there scratching my head. Okay, what do I do now? And I look back and I, of course, threw around lots of different business ideas. I could start a, this kind of business or that kind of business or whatever. But then I thought, what do I really know? And what am I good at? And real estate, right? I had 15 years of experience in real estate. We were successful. We had good properties. We had horrible property too. That's always part of the game. And I was like, okay, Camilla, real estate is the way, but I don't want to do it the way we did it before. I got to figure out a different way. And I'd always had on my vision board, I should buy an apartment complex because then if we had an apartment complex, we would be set for life. So then I start trying to figure out how to buy this apartment complex. And I'm like, oh no, they cost millions of dollars. Check my bank account. Nope, not millions of dollars in the bank account. So how are we going to buy this again? And then I realized, oh, you buy it with partners. You don't buy it by yourself. It's like a group of people come together and we all buy it together. And then we get to share in the profits. And depending on how much you put in, how much I put in and who does the work and whatever, we split it. And I was like, okay, I think I can do this. I had some control issues I had to get over, but as soon as I got over those control issues, we invested, we, we did a passive investment first. And so we invested $50,000 into a hundred unit apartment complex in Tucson, Arizona. And I was so mad because that investment paid me better cash flow and better returns than some of my like other investments that I had totally DIY'd. And I didn't have to do anything. I didn't have to lift a finger for those ones. And so that's why I was sitting there thinking, man, I wish I would have known about this earlier. So I got so excited about group investing that I, I that was my aha moment. Okay, this is the business that I can build. I can pivot to commercial real estate. I can put together groups of people. I can teach them. I have so much experience in real estate. I could teach them how to step in and be real investors and get their money going much better than they could just handing off to the mutual fund manager. And so I launched SteadyStream Investments, which is a passive investor education company. And Today, I help investors place millions and millions of dollars into real estate. And it's so fun because it's group investing and we get to do it together and we all get to share in the profits while we share in the downs too, because there's always ups and downs, yeah. but it's been phenomenal. 
So what you said there about how you had an apartment complex on your vision board, I want to back up a little bit and have you tell me how did an apartment complex end up on your vision board? I don't know how one ended up on my vision board. I couldn't even tell you the story behind it. I knew that my first apartment complex that I found that I wanted to buy was the rude awakening that I can't buy this by myself. We had almost the entire down payment from the house that we sold in Texas, our dream home that wasn't our forever home. And I got great seller financing from the guy. I didn't really know how to run the numbers. I was just guessing. And then I needed to go to the bank to get a loan. So I went to a couple of local banks and they said, you don't even have one rental. You don't have one tenant and you want to buy, I think it was a 14 unit building. And I thought it's a great deal. And I have a business degree. So come on. And we know this market. My husband grew up here and they basically told us that we needed a partner to sign on the loan with us not for the net worth and liquidity or for the down payment, but just for the experience. And I was thinking, man, this one apartment complex was supposed to set us for life because the cash flow off of that after expenses was happened to be exactly what my husband was making at the time. And suddenly he's asking me to share 20, 30, 50% of it with somebody to sign on the loan just for the experience. And I realized, hmm, yeah, this is a team sport. And I thought if I brought enough money to it, that it wouldn't have to be a team sport. And so it was a huge letdown for me and we weren't able to buy that building. And, but I still, to this day, I couldn't go back and be like, this is where I got to the point where I was like, let's put an apartment building on my vision board. If you remember how that ended up on there. Vision boards have a yeah. strange way of becoming reality. Yes. So when I was doing all my investing, it's like we started, of course, we started out single family homes because that's all we thought we could afford because we were DIY. So we did single family homes. And then I did a fourplex and we did the fourplex and we did bring on one money partner for that mm -hmm. fourplex. With that fourplex, that was the moment that I thought, wow, the power of multifamily is so much better than the single family because we still, we did all the same things. We went and mowed the lawns. We put in the tenants. So there was still a roof to fix or whatever, but there was four people paying. And so if one of them left, then our income didn't go to zero. And I was like, whoa, this is a game changer. That's when I put apartment complex on my vision board. But I naively put it on there thinking that I would buy it on my own, which mm -hmm. actually will probably be realized here in the next couple of years. But you just can't do it on your own at first. Like you said, there are barriers to entry that you just simply cannot get over like your experience. Mm -hmm. It's so funny. They won't, they honestly won't let you buy an apartment complex unless you already have experience owning an apartment complex, but how are you supposed to have experience owning one if you can't buy one? <laughs> like you have to partner. This is when they say that networking is the lifeblood of this business. This is why, this is why, yeah. because people are not going to invest money in your deal. Lenders are not going to put their money in your deal. People don't believe that you can do it. Even if you believe that you can do it. So this is why networking is what makes this world turn around and why being open to partnerships is so important. Now, I do know some people who started out with triplexes, singles, flipping rentals. They bought a nine unit, they bought a 12 unit, and eventually they were able to sell their entire portfolio and get like one big hundred unit apartment complex. I know a couple of guys who have done that and they really have never had partners. And guess who calls me <laughs> when they're like, hey, I bought my... 50 or my 100 unit apartment building. I want to buy another one. I cannot do this by myself. How do you syndicate? Like, but all this time you didn't want partners all this time. And now here you are doing <laughs> partnerships. If you want to scale, you eventually have to get to the point where you can handle partnerships. And it's not just the control issues. All I love that you brought that up because a lot of people who don't like partnerships, that's a major uh, factor holding them back. And for me, the biggest thing was how do I make sure that I'm going into business with somebody who's not going to take all the money out of the bank account when I log in the next day and be like, where did all the money go? So I was, <laughs> I really had this fear of that. And the, also the relationship breakdown that really gave me a lot of pause before going into a partnership. And so learning how to deal with the control issues, learning how to vet and trust people, how to put security measures in place background checks and things in your operating agreement and all of that so that and then learning about communication skills conflict resolution arbitration mediation that you can do inside the group so i, I call myself the the partner grandma because <laughs> it's when the partners are having any kind of issues i'm like okay now boys let's all sit down and talk about this and that's a skill that i've been able to bring in that i realize oh this makes me good at partnerships i shouldn't be mm -hmm. scared of them but that fear is what drove me to learn so in your case now that you have left your W-2 and you are fully both feet in this world, and you and your husband have both left your corporate jobs, is that correct? Not yet. He hasn't left yet. Soon. Okay. 
Okay, so you've made the leap and you're all in, right? And you have to have some partners and you may be struggling with, hey, where's the cash flow coming from? And, or the anxiety of all of that, or the anxiety of partnerships. Walk me through what your life looks like now, what your portfolio looks like now, and how you are dealing with some of those challenges. Because it's really easy to say, I have a thousand units and it's so impressive. <laughs> and people, everybody thinks you're rich because you're an apartment investor. And I have just not, I like you have not found that to be the case. And if you don't mind me sharing, you sent me a text message a couple of months ago, because I've been full time at this for a while. And my husband just barely left. And you texted me and you said, Hey, you know, that cash flow issue that you're always whining about. <laughs> you didn't use the word whining. You were much more generous than that. But you said, Hey, I'm kind of in that boat now. Can we talk and figure out like, where does the cash flow come from? Because everything is long-term. Everything is looking in the future. And I said, I don't need the cash flow because my husband's still working. I am in this for the long game. But now that my husband's not working, I suddenly have to solve this problem. So right. anyway, look, tell me what your portfolio looks like and how you're dealing with some of these anxieties and challenges that you have with your new job and all your new partners, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a really interesting challenge because when you have a W-2, your paycheck comes in steady, right? This just comes in every month. And for us, we always lived below our means. And so our bank account would just constantly grow until we had enough to invest and we'd invest in something, right? And so the bank account just constantly goes up and up and up and up and up. Leave my W-2. Now the bank account just goes down, 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 down. Then when I close the deal, spikes up and then down, 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 yep. down, down, down. So for the majority of the year, my bank account is decreasing, not increasing. And that messes with your brain. I'm going to tell you this, right? It messes with your brain. And that I think is where entrepreneurial anxiety can come from. So once you become a full-time investor or business owner or whatever, you suddenly realize that everything is on you. You have to take those steps. You can't just say, I don't want to work anymore and still get a paycheck, right? It doesn't work like that. You have to be putting in strategic ways to bring in the income. And the other crazy thing is you can't rely on one source of income. Just like in a W-2, I always advise people who are investors, like you, you can't, one of the reasons to invest is so you have multiple streams of income, not, and not just the one, because if you just have the one, take it from your girl here who was an HR pro that like fired people all the time and they <laughs> cried in my office. It's not fun. It's not fun when that's the only stream of income you have and then it ends suddenly. So what does my portfolio look like today? Over the past three or four years, I've built up my portfolio to about 13 multifamily assets, which represents around 1,500 doors, right? So those are the impressive numbers. And Or I could throw out, oh, and it's almost 100 million in, no, more than 100, 150 million in assets, right? Okay, great. Those are great numbers. But what does that you know, look like today. All of those are future money. If you think about it, They're, it's future money that's going to come in. And so five years from now, yeah, I'm going to be sitting pretty. It's going to be great. And, and I could probably go fully passive in five years from now. So what do I do for those five years that I'm in right now? And I know I, I reached out to you. I'm like, Emma, what are you doing? How do you, how do we solve this issue where we don't have a ton of cash flow coming in? Now, had I kept all of my single family rentals, I probably would have a much better cash flow coming in, but I was dumb and then I sold them and I didn't keep them. So that's where my portfolio is. And we have a short-term rental and we just did a family flip. We flip houses with our kids. We don't make a ton of money on that. It's just for their experience and to help them learn how to be investors as well and work hard, right? I'm going to get those kids working. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what the portfolio looks like today. But then in terms of, I named my business Steady Stream Investments for a purpose. <laughs> like, okay, steady streams of income. That's what I'm chasing. I'm chasing streams of income, not a big pile of money at the end of my life. So the goal right now is to bring in those multiple streams. And of course, every asset that every group investment that I put together and, and do, go and do with other investors adds to those income streams, just not cash flow because as a general partner we prioritize the passive investors and so passive investors get most of the most if not all of the cash flow during the hold period of it the general partners get paid last i always tell people when they yes. when they're like hey i want to be a syndicator recognize you get paid last right i'm really inspired and motivated by my my idols they don't know they're my mentors because they're like my online you know, celebrity mentors, right? The ones who really are living on their passive income. Every time they get a chunk of cash in, they invest 
they always have this much out invested and they only live on a portion of those returns and they literally don't have to work. They are passive investors. And I reached out to one and he said, well, I spend more time working now than I did when I had a job. I was like, oh, you're coloring this too real for me, man. Like I was so demotivated after I talked to, he's like my hero, right? And I never meet your heroes face to face. And so I, I want to keep a real perspective on this. It is a process. And I'll go back to Dave Ramsey. He's always saying, we don't make microwaves around here. We make crockpots. And that was always frustrating to me because his crockpot was like, be a millionaire by the time you retire. I'm like a million dollars at 60. That's not even that much money. No, and so I, I was like, hey, Dave, can we get a skillet? Maybe like an Instapot? Because I want to retire <laughs> in five years or 10 years. And I'm not saying I never want to work again. There's no beach in Mexico. I want to be a my portfolio manager should be a part-time job for both my husband and myself. That is the goal. Talk about what your plans are for the next couple of years so that you are not just a business owner, but you are truly making that transition into the investor where your income is coming in mostly from your investments. And then everything we do that makes active income could almost be considered a side hustle. Mm -hmm. So there's a concept out there of like investor operator versus investor owner. And mm -hmm. what I love about this concept is that you can invest in a business or in a real estate investment or whatever, and be the operator that gives you the job. The operator is the job part where you have to actually be working to make it happen to make things going, or you invest as an owner where somebody else is operating for you. So that's what I'm training my brain to look for right now is those types of opportunities is investor owner opportunities. Mm -hmm. And of course you can do that through large multifamily group investments or commercial properties, right? So I, we're doing, you can do self storage, you can do hotels or all sorts of those types of things, but you can also do it via businesses. So yeah. one of the things that's on my goal list for this year is to buy a business as an investor owner, not the investor operator. I don't need a job. I don't need another job. I already got too many. And so I want to invest in this business. A business will give you much better cash flow than a real estate investment immediately. Now, remember, real estate investment is going to give you long-term money. It's going to build, really build that wealth. The business is going to give you more cash flow. So that's one of the things that I am personally working on is finding businesses to buy. I'm looking for like just the boring ones. I don't need anything super sexy. I just want the boring ones that are real estate related. I want to buy a home remodeling business or a plumbing business or electrical or a cleanup mm -hmm. business or something like that. That's just one of those steady, stable things that people always need. And there's lots of boomers right now who are retiring, who have built these businesses. And so you don't have to build it from scratch. You just buy it and then either make it better and bring it, bring more technology to it, or just keep it going and just have that source of income. So that's one of the sources of income that I'm working on. Other sources are, Emma, you and I talked about this kind of before we started recording was building out like digital courses or opportunities and mentoring opportunities. And of course, those could be other sources of income as well writing a book, I'm writing a book right now about passive investments. And, and that could be a source of income. Although most people say your first book is more like a big oh, business card, term? <laughs> business card. Yeah. A big business card. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. Whatever. So then you can do that speaking engagements. You can get paid to speak. There's lots mm -hmm. of different ways that you can build out streams of. And so looking at that through investments, right. And we talked about this too. We're both really good at doing deals, like just doing a real estate investment and putting together a group of people. Let's go buy this and do that. And so just getting more deals under my belt and building the machine. So I think of it as I'm building the machine that's going to spit out the money in the future. And in order to build that machine, yeah, I'm going to have to work really hard. I'm going to have to work really hard for five years to really build the type of machine that I want. But once I get all the pieces together, that at that point will be the point where I could just step out and be fully passive, but you have to do it intentionally. Like you can't build something that you're constantly working in. And then in five years, think you're all going to sudden going to step out because everything's going to fall apart. So if you're not building it intentionally and as you go with good people to run things as you do it, then there's no way you're going to be able to 
step out. That is one thing that I do really like about real estate because each building is its own little business. And as you mm -hmm. sell or sell your interest out, which I've done, I'm no longer managing partner on one of the buildings that we bought where it, that was my project. Right. And I said, after it's stabilized and refinanced, I want a report and a distribution every six months. And so I basically sold my managing partner nice. to that where I could just step away because nobody wants me as an asset manager. I'm really great at acquisition, stabilization, putting teams together, <laughs> things like that. But when it's like, did you review that report? I said, I'm like, really? I gotta read that. So I really struggle with the ongoing day to day. The thing about real estate is because each building is its own business. When I want to divest or pull away, I just sell it whether I'm selling the building or selling my interest. And for us, I have been really struggling with the side hustle concept. We could write a book. We could have a YouTube channel because YouTube, you look at pay per view or pay per clicks on YouTube channels. The two highest tiers of who gets paid the most per click is gamers. And the next one is personal finance, specifically real estate investors. I'm like, wait a second. I've got this highly valuable skill that I can teach that I can go do a deal. There are all sorts of things that I can do. And I was like, why am I vlogging when I could, could be out there doing a deal? So we're really struggling with that. And the other issue that I don't know if this is an attitude problem or a huge blessing, both, right? Is our small <laughs> rental portfolio that we own just by ourselves is sitting on enough equity that if we just pulled that out and reinvested probably 90% of it, we literally wouldn't have to work anymore. Like, how do I get this equity out? So I was asking recently on, on my social, like true or false, you make your money on a rental when you sell it. People are like, Emma, are you okay? Are your rentals not making any money? <laughs> That's not what I mean. <laughs> They're cash flowing, like you said, $100, $200, $300 a month. And how many of them do you need to be able to not work anymore? And then by the time you get that many of them, basically have a property management company and that's your job. And yeah. that's what I'm very intentionally staying out of. And so I'm just trying to one by one, sell these things off and reinvest because if you still had yours, and here's the question, if you still had yours now, how would things be different? Because you sold them all off and you enjoyed that cash. What did you do with the cash when you sold them off? And if you still had them and you were selling them now, what would be different? So what did I do with the cash when we sold them off? Half the cash we made stupid decisions on and we just spent it. <laughs> That's <a> fun. <laughs> and the other it. half, I guess part of it was to pay for my MBA to go and get my MBA. So cash flowed that because we are very averse to student debt. Do not mm -hmm. side note. Here's my soapbox. Don't let your kids get student debt. It's awful. Yeah. Anyway, okay. Back to the regular programming. <laughs> and then the rest of it, we put into passive investments. So we put money into those, the passive investments that we have right now which is the large group investments that we're doing. So that's what we did. Now, what would I do differently today? I would have had a lot more money today that I could have, <laughs> I would have waited and then sold them today because then I would throw all that money in either passively or actively. I'd probably do half and half. So I'd probably do half passive, half active and do some, maybe some joint venture deals or, or things like that, where I could have a higher percentage of ownership. Mm -hmm. um, but that's probably what I would do. And that's very similar to our plan. We've got our, we've got our severance that basically is running out this month. And then we got a couple of months where we're basically just living off of our rental income. And then we're going to mm -hmm. have to sell a house. So I told my husband, I said, let's sell two houses. One, we just keep it and just, that'll be another, cause we have a year's worth of income put aside from something we sold last year and we'll just keep it, put another year's worth of income aside, but sell a second one. So we can keep maybe 10% of that, those proceeds and then invest the rest into passive investments. Because if you just keep eating it when you sell, it, it's like killing your golden goose, right? And so it's, you have to be exactly. very intentional when you have a business, which real estate each property is, how, when you divest that, how are you going to reinvest that? And I think that there's this thing in the stock market, the 4% rule, everybody knows it, right? And in real estate, you might be able to go up to 8%, 10%, but in the end of it, you have to keep reinvesting probably 90% of what mm -hmm. you pull out of these deals and you have to live on the 10%. So the number of that we need in order to be able to retire, a lot of people don't even think about what that looks like. If we are living off of 10% of the proceeds, then what type of cash do we need in play to be able to throw off enough to live on if we're only living on 10%. So since you love to teach and educate, I would love to have a little, like a little mini micro teaching moment here on how do you help people figure that out? What, and they call that a fire number in the fire movement, the financial independence, retire early movement. What's your basic fire number? And then what do you actually want? What's your stretch goal number? So how do you walk your investors through that process? 
Yeah. So there's lots of different approaches and everybody has their own goals. And so whenever I talk to an investor, we talk about their goals. So sometimes they're trying to get out of their W-2 and so they want more cash flow. Sometimes they're trying to just build up for later on. And so then they're okay not getting a ton of cash flow. And then we can help them figure out which type of which investment is better for them. For those that are super motivated that want to fire right? I always tell them you can't do it through just passive investing. Like you have to be active. You have to be an active investor to hit that unless you want to wait for 10, 20 years. I do have a a whole spreadsheet that I walk them through about if you invest $50,000 per year. So every single year you invest another $50,000 into a group investment. So a passive investment. What does that look like in 10 years if you continually investing that money because typically one of these projects will hold for five years and then it sells and then you'll get you double your money in five years and then take all that reinvest it what does that look like the end of that 10-year period you have roughly 900 to nine hundred fifty thousand dollars invested in right at that time and you have about seventy thousand in cash flow a year so seventy thousand is a pretty good number, right? It's higher than the average salary in the average U.S. person's salary, right? 70,000 a year that you couldn't just live off of. And that's pure cash flow, right? And then you just keep reinvesting, keep reinvesting. That number grows every year, which is super cool too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want that number. I want a much bigger number. No, so I want I, the whole enchilada. <laughs> I know. So the other day someone posted, how much money do you think you're going to need to for in, in retirement? And it was like a poll on LinkedIn. It said 1 million, mm-hmm. 2 million, 4 million, 8 million. How much do you think you're going to need? And I put two. And I just, I didn't even, <laughs> I didn't even respond to the poll. I didn't click any of those because I have a contrarian viewpoint. I don't want a big pile of money in the end that I hope I'm going to be around t- to use. I want to create experiences now for my family, for me, that because time's not guaranteed. And I was talking to a woman the other day and she said this to me, she said, time's just not guaranteed. And so I need to do now all these experiences now, because I don't know if I'm going to be around in five years or 10 years or whatever. And it's just awful. Some of the stats are pretty awful about how quickly people die after they actually retire from their jobs. It's pretty fast. Like they think they're going to be able to do all these cool things. And then suddenly their health goes awry and they can't do anything. They're homebound and they're just like, I guess... I I waited too long. So I'm not waiting too long. I'm stretching and it's uncomfortable, right? It's uncomfortable, especially right now with my entrepreneurial anxiety about money. (laughs) It's like, it's uncomfortable to take that trip, to take take my kids to Europe for a month and in the summer and all those, but it's important too. And so for me with that poll, I wrote in the comments, I said, I'm actually chasing a million dollar income stream. I'm not chasing a million dollars in a in an account, right? I don't need a pile of money. I just want that money that just keeps coming in. And so that's mm-hmm. that's really the goal is to hit that million dollar income stream. And what does that look like? Because I've always backed into a saying, if I want something to, if I want a million dollar in- income stream, I'm living off a of 10% of my investments. That means I need roughly $10 million invested. So that's still a pile of money. When you wrote that, I thought, mm-hmm. okay, I'm not exactly sure what she means by that because I'm still seeing a huge pile of money that's generating that cash flow. So tell me what that looks like for you. Yes and no. If you think about it, if you do it in in terms of uh, it's just money that I keep investing, but maybe it's businesses that you own, right? So it's businesses that you own that are then producing that type of investment. And of course, your net worth on paper will have to be significantly high in order to achieve that million dollar revenue, not revenue, that's the wrong word, million dollar profit coming. But yeah, you're right. It will necessitate having a high net worth in order to have that money invested and have those things coming. I talked to a guy the other day who bought an $8 million business and it has a, it's a $2 million EBITDA, which means, which just means that's the profit before he has to pay any debt service. Debt service is going to be about six or 700,000. So he has, he produced a $1.2 million profit cash flow, right? For himself by buying this one business. So I'm like, okay, this can totally happen. By buying businesses and, and then you have to make sure you have the right operator, right? It's just that whole investor owner 
type type of concept back to that again is be the investor owner. Don't be the investor operator. So then you will be basically you're the board of directors for your investments yeah. and for your businesses. I feel like this is the dirty little secret of real estate investing. And I felt like when you texted me and you asked me this question a couple months back, I thought I I'm so relieved right now. And maybe it's just her and me. I'm sure there are other people going through this, but I don't think I realized how widespread the cash flow issue is until bigger pockets had Cody Sanchez on to interview her about how to buy cash flowing businesses. And I thought, oh, if Dave Green is sitting around and wondering this stuff, and if he's still running a real estate brokerage and bringing in active income, I feel much better suddenly about what I'm doing, what I, that I am on the right track. And that I felt for a while, like, and this is why I wanted to start this podcast. I felt for a while, like passive income is a total lie. It's a lie. I've been misled. And while I still think that, that in some ways it's a myth and a unicorn, what I want to do is paint a realistic picture of what it looks like to go from your student debt W2 job over to that unicorn. And it may just be a white horse with a fake horn on it, but you're still pretty close to what you were envisioning. And so we've been looking at businesses ourselves recently. When, when my husband left his job, I was like, dude, you got a lot of time. What you planning on doing with it? He said, first, I'm going to sit around and get fat and think. <laughs> but <Okay>. so <laughs> it, we, he's been interviewing a lot of different franchise opportunities. And we've been reading a book called Exit Rich and The Millionaire Fast Lane. And it's a lot about businesses. I'm not that excited about it. I don't want a business. I'm retired right now. <laughs> <laughs> but he does and he'll be the one who's running it. So I think it's a great thing to think about as you're making that transition. How are you going to keep the lights on once the W2 guy leaves? And for a while we had that, that I don't know what you'd call it, that the perfect marriage of the W2 worker and the real estate professional, which is what you're experiencing where your depreciation and all your tax benefits offset your husband's active income. For a while, we were riding that train. So the income that we derived from just all of our depreciation, if we'd lost money on a project or something, we'd end up with these big tax refunds. And we could take the refund and go do an investment, buy a house or something like that. And they're sizable. Even though we're taking a maximum amount of exemptions we can possibly take, they were still getting sizable deductions and, sorry, sizable refunds. You're able to ride that for a while. And now I, I don't know what it's going to look like with both of us being self-employed. That's going to be an interesting tax year for 2023. <laughs> uh, figure but, that out. but this journey is wealth building for sure. For sure. Uh, not quite a crock, crock pot. It can be faster than that. But you do need to worry about cash flow. Maybe worry is the wrong word. That's not an NLP word. You do need to consider the cash flow. Consider how you're going to do go. that. Yes. Is one of you going to stay W2? Is one of you going to have an active business, whether it's a flipping house business, a real estate based business, or if it's some sort of a franchise that you buy, it doesn't matter, but consider where the money is coming from so that you can have a lifestyle design type of existence. And I think that you're doing a great job at that. And I love how real and vulnerable that you've been on this episode, but also just over the past couple of months as we've been walking almost like lockstep through our path. It's been really fascinating. So I would love to hear what drives you, what motivates you, because this is hard stuff. I never want to make this look like it's super easy, right? It's totally worth doing, but it's not a walk in the park. So what's on your vision board right now? What next passive income adventure are you planning on either taking right away or like the big bucket list item that really drives you and keeps you motivated? Tell me about your passive income adventure dream. So I am highly motivated by experiences. So I, I don't like stuff. In fact, I really enjoyed moving a lot because we got rid of stuff all the time and it was like, hey, no more stuff. I'm notorious for just throwing things away and my kids and husband are like, where is this? I don't know. As, but I will spend, I will, I like to spend money on experiences and have those memories and build those. And so I think I said before that my kids are in their teenage years. There, I have very few years left with them. So my, one of my big dreams has always been to live foreign and to have a foreign experience with my family. I think it just opens up your mind to different ways of living. It opens up your mind to get you out of your comfort zone, out of your bubble. And you realize that there's a pretty big world out there. And maybe your problems won't seem as big as they are when you're uprooted and not in your own little 
space. Like we, I tried really hard to do it with my W-2. I worked so hard to try and raise my hand for every international opportunity there was. And that's so dang close. I got so close so many times and <laughs> I was going to go to Ireland and then COVID struck. Dang it. And so then, and I realized that I was just hanging on to my W-2 just for that purpose was the purpose of hoping that they would send me foreign because it felt more safe and easy and comfortable. I'd have an instant community. I'd have people welcoming me at the, in the foreign country and teaching me all the things and telling me where to find the right, the best bread or whatever. But then I realized that was just a, like, I can take control of that. So I'm going to take control of that. And so now that's what we're doing. We are going to go spend the summer in Europe with our family. There's still like, a bajillion things I have to figure out with that, but, but we're doing it and we're going to, we're going to go and have this experience as a family before, right after my twin daughters graduate their senior year of high schools right now, and then are off on their own adventure. And we just want to make stuff like that happen. And then another silly one is my husband and I have always, we've always loved cruising with our family. We think it's one of the best family vacations ever because you don't have to worry, especially for big families, because not everybody likes McDonald's and not everybody likes Taco Bell and not everybody, right? so, like feeding the whole crew is just a joke. But if you, if a cruise, everybody can find what they want. There's entertainment for want. So anyway, we, when we were young and broke, we still prioritized this. And so we still took our family on a cruise and we could only afford to go every like once every four years. Now we're up to once every two years. We're like, yes, okay, we can do this every two years. When we're older, we want to be able to be in a place that we can take our entire family, even the in-laws and the grandbabies or whatever, do that and continue to do that for our families. So that's a big goal of ours. And then another big goal is to have multiple homes in multiple locations so that we can go and spend the summer in Europe or spend and then spend the winter in Colorado enjoying the snow, like things like that, right? So those are some big motivational items. But if you really ask what drives me is, is paving the path for my children to be able to achieve their own dreams. So you always look at your kids and you're like, man, I just want you to have everything. I, I want you to, yes, go after your dreams, honey. Don't hold back. Don't hold back. <laughs> but if they don't see their parents going after their dreams and walking that walk, how are they supposed to believe in themselves? that they can do it, right? If they're like, you're not doing anything for your life. And so that is what drives me. I'm, I'm driven to show them the messy path it takes <laughs> to get to your dreams and that it's okay to pivot. It's okay to fall down. And in fact, I hate the statistic that says 90% of entrepreneurs fail. My statistic is 100% of entrepreneurs fail. And we just pick ourselves up and we go again. That's the way it is. And so I'm fighting against perfectionism culture. I'm, and I'm fighting against hustle culture. I'm trying to teach my children that you can build this amazing business and life and not have to be crazy in the process. A very similar thing drives me because I believe that legacy wealth is about example and education and not about your kids having multiple homes. Not that I don't want multiple homes too. I'm not saying that, but this is my house. It's not their house and they need yeah. to work for what they are going to achieve. And I'm going to set the example. and I'm going to educate them. And the word, my word of the year for 2023 is playful because I wondered like, why do I want any of this? Why does any of this drive me? So I can be like a Scrooge McDuck who can swim around in my money bin and have a <laughs> terrible attitude, sour attitude. No, that's not why I want any of this. I want this so that I can play. I want to be more free so that I can play. So I got rid of the word freedom and I brought in the word playful. And I, cause I asked my kids, like, describe me in one word, guess what the word consistently was. <laughs> and I bet, you know, because your kids might say the same thing about you. If your kids were going to describe you in one word, what would it be? It's not playful. I'll tell word. you that. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's not playful. <laughs> oh, that's hard. I don't know. I want to ask them now. <laughs> yeah. Don't be surprised <laughs> when they tell you stressed. 
<laughs> okay, great. Yeah, I asked my nieces this with their mom because she's just so fun and she's just so great. And I just, I wanted to be more like my sister-in-law. And so I asked her kids, I said, describe your mom in one word. And they said, stress. I said, what? But she's, and I said, okay, if she <laughs> gets described as stressed by her kids, my kids would certainly say that. So I went back home and I asked them and that's, that's exactly, I didn't give them any cues. They did not overhear that conversation, but that's what they said. And I thought, is this the legacy? Mm -hmm. Is this the example they don't want to be setting. If my kid, if my daughter was living my life at my age, would I be proud of her? And if the answer is no, you need to make some changes. <laughs> so you are doing that. You are teaching them that the value of work is not a, some Puritan ideal of hard work for hard work's sake. It's you have big dreams, big goals, aspirations, and the work is a byproduct of going after those things. And you are showing your kids that very well. You're showing yourself that, which is maybe even more important. And now we have the opportunity to share this message with anybody listening to this episode and with everybody in our network, because we're out there doing the things that it takes and leaving the breadcrumbs behind to paint a realistic picture of what this lifestyle looks like. So I really appreciate your vulnerability, sharing your story, sharing where you are, sharing where you're going, and we have firm plans to get there. And I can't wait to just keep going on this journey and seeing where we both end up. I'm so excited. It's so fun to have someone like you that you can bounce ideas off and we can cheer for each other in the background and it just watches as we both walk this path. And it's fun to share. It's fun to share with other people. Because I think one of the reasons that I struggled to get into the big stuff, right, to do the big stuff and become a, a because I couldn't see people like me doing it. And once I really started networking and getting out of my own little comfort zone, I found people like me who were doing it. And so now I'm motivated more than ever to help others also to reach my hand down and be like, okay, hey, come, come along with me. I'm only a couple steps ahead of you. You can do this. Yes, we can do this. I exactly I was the same thing for me when I saw people doing it consistently. It wasn't just a dream or that guy down the street that was way richer than me. It was suddenly like people who were right in front of me. And I thought, well, they're not any smarter or better or richer or whatever. I really identified with them. And I was able to say, hey, I can totally do that. So that it's just a it's a great message to send around. And when my dream, I, I don't know if I've ever said this out loud, but it's not even on my vision board before. I want to live in a dacha in Eastern Europe. That's what I want to do. It's so affordable, <laughs> this country lifestyle. I lived in Eastern Europe when I was a college student, and I just have been chasing that abroad experience ever since and missing out on it because my husband almost got transferred to this place or we almost got a job in that country and, and just always missing out on it. The same, very similar to what you just said. So when we get our dachas in Eastern Europe or our casita on a beach in Mexico, like we yeah. definitely need to get our kids together, hang out and just enjoy the passive income lifestyle because that'd be awesome. It, it play. That's what it's all about. So Camilla, how can people get a hold of you if they want to reach out after the show? And by the way, you're supposed to reach out after the show, because as we've said, this business is all about networking. We want to be in your it network is. and we want you to be in our network. So how can people reach out to you? It is. And it's my favorite when people reach out to me like, hey, I heard you on Emma's podcast. I'm I like, yes, it. I'm so glad. Let's talk. Yeah. So one of the best ways is to find me on LinkedIn. Of course, you can. I'm very active on LinkedIn. So just my name, Camilla Jeff's really easy to find me. You can go to my website, studystreaminvestments.com, where I do have a free course on passive investing that you can take. It's just a series of videos just teaching you all the things about it. And then listen to me on my podcast, Quiet Wealth. I have lots of stuff on there and it's just it's really fun to be able to uh be on podcasts they're so fun i agree it is one of my favorite things to do i don't know why it took me so long to launch one but thank you so much for being on and just helping me to interview you were so easy so appreciate it and like i said everybody reach out after the show and let's see what we can do to help each other on our next passive income adventure Thank you. And we'll see you all next time. Thank you for joining us on this episode today. And we will catch you all on our next passive income adventure together.